There has been a lot of chatter out there in semiconductor world, especially surrounding the current AI hype cycle, especially about NVIDIA. How high can the stock fly? Is it getting way ahead of itself? When is the next crash? So on and so forth. I'd like to take a few minutes to explain to you why I think Broadcom and what we like to refer to here as Baby Broadcom, Marvell Technology Group, why these two stocks are overlooked and why we think specifically these two companies and the enterprise computing market offer a much smoother ride for investors over the long term. Let's take a look. Before continuing, let me remind you to hit the like button and subscribe to the channel if this video is helpful as you do your own investment research and increase your knowledge of business and technology. We really appreciate the support as subscribing to the channel helps us continue putting out content like this. I want to discuss a few comments that Broadcom CEO Hawk Tan made at the Bank of America Global Technology Conference in early June 2023. But before we get to those incredibly educational comments that he made, let me introduce this topic first by showing you what I mean by the cyclicality of the semiconductor industry. You've probably heard this a number of times, especially pundits talking about NVIDIA and when the next down cycle is coming. This is a chart of the iShares Semiconductor ETF. This thing has been around for a long time. It is basically the top 30 largest semiconductor companies that trade on US stock exchanges. So it's been around a long time. You get a full picture here of what the market is talking about when it worries about semiconductor cyclicality. Whenever this happens, especially in the consumer electronics space, PCs, tablets, smartphones, and the like, we'll get to that in a moment. But whenever there's a slowdown in spending on this segment, which has historically been far and away the largest segment of sales for semiconductors, whenever there's a risk of consumer spend slowdown or an actual fall in consumer spending on electronic devices like this, the market will sell off semiconductor stocks. And so you see these little peaks and valleys. You see a valley that started to crop up there in 2015, early 2016, when there was a soft patch in demand. Late 2018 through early 2019, of course, that was the US-China trade war, which caused some issues for global demand. And then, of course, the big one in 2020 when there were global lockdowns. And then more recently, this really nasty downturn for the semiconductor market that started in late 2021 through 2022, when all of that spending early in the pandemic on consumer electronics suddenly fell off cliff. So that's what people are talking about when you hear them talk about semiconductors being a cyclical industry. It's a growing industry, but you tend to have these cycles of sometimes it's revenue and profit driven when companies have to deal with the ebbs and flows of sales, but oftentimes it's just market expectations for surges in revenue 
followed by periods where maybe revenue flatlines or even declines for a time. And that gets reflected in these very wild stock prices. However, is the industry, in fact, always cyclical? Hawk Tan, CEO of Broadcom, doesn't think so. And let me show you Broadcom's revenue chart over the last decade as proof that he might actually be right. Look at this beautiful line up and to the right, pretty smooth revenue growth performance, despite like I showed you in the previous chart, lots of peaks and valleys in stock prices for the world's largest semiconductor makers and designers. You can see Broadcom, pretty steady performance here in spite of some softness in 2015 and 2016, again in 2018 and 2019, and then through the pandemic. And also in 2022, it seems Broadcom has just sailed through the ups and downs. Now, mind you, Broadcom has been a serial acquirer, especially of some software companies there starting in 2017, 2018, and 2019. And the company is again trying to make another big acquisition right now as we speak of VMware, which would be transformational. Software is a much smoother business, but that's beside the point. Overall, Broadcom Semiconductor business has been a pretty steady performer over the years. Now, this was essentially the question that was asked Hawk Tan at that Bank of America Global Technology Conference I mentioned. The response that he gave as to why he doesn't think the semiconductor industry is all that cyclical, or at least he would like to try to change this perception that it is cyclical. And this is especially so in the enterprise and infrastructure segment of the market. So this is emerging as a much larger segment of the semiconductor industry than what has historically been the largest end market, consumer electronics. So Octan says here, where do the cycles come from? He says that he used to believe this, that because supply comes in large chunks, so when you reach this tipping point where demand exceeds supply in a particularly extreme way, you start to get a trigger cycle. What happens is when there's a shortage of supply, customers' behavior, they behave in a manner that says, I'm rushing for whatever products I can lay my hands on right now. So they place excessive demand out there, excessive purchase orders, and if you ship, to your customer based on what those panic customers are doing. It's great. But then when the cycle is over, supply catches up. Guess what? You have all that inventory and you've shipped out to digest that. And then you end up with these plunging sales. Now, we believe this is tantamount to understanding why the market has this perception that the semiconductor industry is so incredibly cyclical. And a lot of it has to do with what used to be, and up until recently, was far and away the largest end market for semiconductors, consumers, retail consumers. So this is a complex supply chain here. You have your suppliers over on the left. You have your semiconductor designers and manufacturers and other various basic component manufacturers. They actually sell to the device manufacturers themselves who put all these components together to make devices 
your smartphones, your laptops, and such, then those manufacturers tend to distribute through retail stores. They could be online retailers. They could be physical brick and mortar stores. It doesn't matter. There are a plethora of retailers. And then you have this myriad of consumers, an army of consumers. And in a group, they do seemingly irrational things. They tend to go shopping in droves during certain times of the year, like the holiday shopping season, whenever there's a new shiny piece of tech that comes out, or whenever there is a new hype cycle surrounding new technology, maybe it's 5G, whatever the case may be, you can see the complexity of the supply chain. And ultimately, the suppliers, the base level suppliers, semiconductors, are very far removed from the end consumer. They tend to have very little visibility into what consumers are doing other than maybe macroeconomic indicators. And so they tend to be at the whim of their device manufacturer partners, their retail partners. And so you end up with these very noisy and very lumpy revenue and ultimately profit performance that affects those stock prices. Now, what Hock Tan is saying here is that, especially for Broadcom, which has very little exposure to the consumer device, consumer electronics market, with the exception of Apple. Apple is a very large customer that they just renewed their contract with. We'll get to that in just a moment. But by and large, Broadcom is an enterprise computing supplier, and there is added simplicity with this market. There's a simplified supply chain. So yes, you still have a myriad of suppliers there on the left, but they tend to work with fewer device manufacturers. So this might be a company, for example, that makes servers or maybe cloud or data center equipment. Those manufacturers are often in very close communication with enterprise consumers. And they're really just a very few handful of enterprise consumers, especially when you compare that to the hundreds of millions of individual households around the world, all doing things independently of each other, not coordinating purchases, but really rushing to make these buys whenever there's a new tech trend or a new hot device on the market. In contrast, enterprise consumers are far fewer. They tend to make more rational decisions that are based on, hey, what do I need to run my business? What do I need to increase my profit margins? So the pace and cadence of orders tend to be more consistent over time. And in fact, a company like Broadcom actually sometimes even completely circumvents those device manufacturers in the middle and works directly with the enterprise consumers directly. Back to that B of A Global Technology Conference. Another question that Hawk Tan answered, Broadcom is notorious for tightly controlling its supply. Basically, they only ship to their customers based on what they think that customer needs in the immediate term. That does a few things. It tends to keep Broadcom's supply, what it has an inventory under control, and it also enables Broadcom to keep very tight control over its pricing. 
versus a supplier in the consumer retail space that may have to adjust pricing all over the board based on what that very wild final demand is from households, from consumers like you and I. So Hoktan answers this question here. In a sense, it's about relationships. It's also about the kind of products you're shipping. If you're shipping to a core product, it's probably easier to get that level of engagement with the final customer than to be shipping building block products. In essence, what Hoktan is saying here is sometimes because they work so tightly with device manufacturers and their end enterprise consumers, sometimes Broadcom simply says, no, based on what we're seeing, you don't need that much inventory of components. We're not shipping to you. We'll talk next year. And so oftentimes what that leads to is tighter control over inventory, which means smoother revenue performance for a company like Broadcom. Now, that doesn't mean Broadcom stock is devoid of cyclicality. Sometimes the market still believes companies like Broadcom should be and will be highly cyclical. Oftentimes that never comes to fruition. And so the stock price will be all over the board. And then that expected result in revenue never comes. But at the end of the day, we think this is a reason why a lot of investors should pay more attention to these enterprise-centric semiconductor businesses like Broadcom and their smaller peer, Marvell Technology Group, that focus almost completely, exclusively on this much smoother performing enterprise compute market. Now, there's an interesting little side point here that helps explain why Apple has been such a powerful retail-focused, consumer-focused computing device powerhouse. I'm just going to put this slide up here again, showing what the typical consumer electronics market looks like. You have all of your suppliers. You have, let's say for the Android ecosystem, a myriad of different device manufacturers. They all distribute through their respective retail channels to an army of consumers doing very unpredictable things. Let's go again to that enterprise compute slide. Interestingly here, Apple's ecosystem looks much more like this than it does the typical consumer electronics space. Why is that? Apple has very tight control over its manufacturing. So you still have a lot of different suppliers, but all of those suppliers work with Apple directly because Apple designs all of its own devices. It has very tight control over who it will allow to manufacture its devices. And then it also maintains very tight control over its retail channel. Apple has forged an incredible relationship with its consumer base. Many of them go to Apple directly for purchases. Because it's such a tight ecosystem, Apple has a very firm grasp on what actual demand is from its consumer base. They're not having to go directly through their consumers to try to gauge what people want to buy and when. And so as a result, you have this consumer electronics business that behaves much more like this enterprise computing ecosystem that, that Broadcom 
CEO Hoktan was trying to explain. Interesting little side note here, but we think this helps explain why Apple has been such a powerful investment over especially the last two decades with the advent of mobile technology, smartphones, and the iPhone and such. So that's a little bit about the importance of analyzing business models, especially within the semiconductor industry. But there are some risks or at least some perceived risks that arise from this model. Broadcom and a lot of other specifically enterprise-centric semiconductor businesses have been dealing from their biggest customers, big tech, Microsoft Azure's, your Amazon AWS's, Google Cloud, Facebook, Meta, so on and so forth. Basically, hyperscalers that own and operate their own data centers and account for a large chunk of those purchases, those ultimate purchases that Broadcom supplies. So let's go back to that technology conference because Hawk Tan fielded a question about this too. Here's what he had to say. Hyperscalers, again, those are those big data center and cloud computing operators, always after a while get into this aspirational intention where they consider, hey, I could do a chip better focused on my model than what's out there in the merchant space. That would be merchant space being a Broadcom, which focuses not on application-specific chips, but general-purpose chips it can sell to everyone. Tan continues, that typically happens until they get into it and the water is freezing and boiling. It's not that easy because you do not have to do only one chip, one generation. Once you're in it, you have to do the next generation and the next. And it never stops because if you stop, then what are you going to do? Are you going to keep using the older generation? There's also this merchant silicone out there that's probably continuing to progress. And so your competitors will be using the better product than you are. And so you have to be very careful about going into it. Now, he points out this doesn't stop a lot of these large hyperscalers from trying to design their own chips anyways. Uh, we've seen this, especially in recent months, as the AI hype cycle has ramped up. Everybody, Microsoft, Azure, Google Cloud, Amazon AWS, you name it, all coming out with these announcements that they are designing their own chips. Could that be a risk for a company like Broadcom? Could some of these giant customers eventually cut Broadcom out of the mix? and just start designing their own chips because we have indeed seen this happen. Apple, again, is a prime example of this. They design their own processors. They've been doing it for many years with the iPhone and started doing it with their MacBook lineup, debuting the M series chip a few years ago. We're now on the M2 and Apple does a fantastic job designing their own processors. Worth pointing out that Apple reportedly was trying to do this to Broadcom. Indeed, they were trying to design their own wireless connectivity chips. And this is not as easy as they thought it would be. They renewed that contract with Broadcom for a few more years. Apple has been successful designing its own processors in very large part 
thanks to Arm Holding. That's that company that is getting ready to IPO later this year. Arm Holding has a library of basic chip designs that a company like Apple can take and customize to their own needs. But a lot of these other custom chips out there, like what Broadcom makes for the networking side of the equation, and also the storage side of the equation and managing the storage of data and the movement of it around a data center, a lot of these much harder to design in-house and gain traction with, it would seem. So Tan continues, at the end of the day, you want to compete against a semiconductor-focused business with lots of investment and who has been doing it for the entire industry. That's hard. Now, having said that, many of the hyperscalers have a lot of resources, very smart people, and a lot of need. Yes, they have lots of their own in-house demand for chips. So they will always like to try and design their own chips but it doesn't mean they will succeed. Perhaps this new advent of AI, specifically generative AI services, taking place in the cloud, in big data centers, perhaps this will change things. But Hoktan isn't so sure. He says here, merchant silicon, merchant chips, those are the general purpose chips companies like Broadcom focus on tend to prevail long-term. Time will tell, but as far as how it looks right now, the semiconductor industry, and especially the biggest semiconductor companies that have been around a long time, they're well-funded, they have a broad and deep portfolio of intellectual property of chip designs, they look like they will continue to be very safe. And those that focus on the enterprise market, data centers, enterprise computing, and of course, this current AI hype cycle are going to offer what we think will be a very smooth up and to the right ride over the next five years or so. A lot of investors focused on your NVIDIAs and your AMDs, and we think those companies will do well too, especially as companies like NVIDIA and AMD refocus a lot of their efforts on, again, that enterprise market, the computing chips that eventually go in data centers to power AI. We think that will be a much smoother market, much more smooth demand and end sales to these customers than the historical consumer electronics base they were working from in the past. But don't sleep on Broadcom and Marvell Technology Group. 